Father God, uh, thank you for our time already gathered. Thank you for the songs we've been able to sing that um, really focus our hearts and our minds away from the distractions of our week and onto you, um, as you revealed in your word, uh, a glorious and majestic and all-powerful, mighty God, um, the creator of the world, and wonderfully our redeemer too. Thank you that um, you have made yourself known in your word as a faithful God, a loving God, uh, who has sent your son to live and to die for us so that we can be made uh, right with you for all eternity. Thank you for the preciousness of the gospel. Thank you for your word that actually uh, reveals who you are, but also through it you shape our lives. And we pray today that you'd give us ears to hear, uh, not just the ears on our head, but the ears of our hearts uh, to hear what you have uh, for us today. We pray that we'd be encouraged. We pray that we'd be um, exhorted where needed, admonished even. Um, and we pray that you would accomplish your work in our lives through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Um, so, yeah, as Steve mentioned, we're in this summer series thinking about some key Western values, the kind of moral air that we breathe, thinking about how Jesus gives us the truest and most wonderful expression of them. Uh, we're helped by this book. Um, a bunch of them have gone. We've got some out there. Um, it's by an author called Glenn Scrivener. There's still a few that you can pick up if you like. There's a bookstall out there. Um, he makes the case that that idea that these things come from Jesus, is true as a fact of history. That's the kind of argument he's making. Jesus brought about a revolution that completely 
um, sort of uh, upturned the world, uh, unique and unnatural, uh, a supernatural kind of revolution, uh, and uh, in, in a way that still shapes our world in really deep ways. But the, look, the main reason we're actually doing this series is not just to lock away some interesting history, as, you know, as interesting as that is. It's not to comment on society today. The main reason we're doing this over the month of January, uh, our up at Mount Barker, the main reason we're doing this is so that we might be captivated by the beauty and the truthfulness and the goodness of Jesus, um, of, he, uh, of who he was and what he did and all that that means for the world and all that that can mean for you. Um, an author called John Dixon, who you might have heard of, he talks about all this as, as if it's like Jesus sang this beautiful tune, the most captivating and perfect song. Sometimes Jesus' followers through the ages have sung that tune really well, and they've given to the world things like public hospitals and schools and the end of the slave trade. Sometimes they've been totally out of tune with it and taken part in terrible things like the medieval crusades or the shameful covering up of abuse uh, but the tune itself is still beautiful and true and you won't hear it anywhere else and the closer you get to jesus the clearer you'll hear it so uh, whether you're a Christian or not, maybe you're someone skeptical about religion or just interested in Jesus, the invitation of this series for all of us is to come back to Jesus and to hear this melody that he sang. It's a tune that brings the most wonderful news to everyone who receives it. So today we're thinking especially about this value of equality. It's a big value in Western societies, especially egalitarian Australia, right, where we love cutting down tall poppies as soon as they rear their ugly mugs. <laughs> Everyone's equal. Um, and now since it's school holidays, we've got kids in, I thought we'd start by playing a game of Spot the Difference. Uh, so here we go, kids, you can look up on the screen. Uh, here's an actual photo of me. Now, I'm going to give you, I don't know if you can see that very well, I'm going to give you 10 seconds, see if you can spot the five differences, okay? I'm going to count on my watch, go. Okay, that's 10 seconds. Did you get them? No, they're a bit hard to end. You're probably a bit too far away. But uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see them. Did you pick them? Yeah, you got, you got a few, maybe. Maybe one or two. Okay, sometimes it's hard to spot the difference. Uh, what about two actual people? So let's go to the next slide. What about a cheesy stock photo spot the difference? Okay, this is really difficult. Uh, really hard to do. If you go to the next slide, well, it's not actually that hard to do, is it? Like, there's, there's dif differences everywhere between these two, okay? <laughs> what about if you get a group of people together? Another cheesy stock photo? Or about a whole crowd? A whole crowd together? You get any group of people together, and what do you notice? What you notice is how different we all are. How different we all are. All the ways in which we're not equal to each other. Now, if someone showed you this picture, so if you're in the, in the ancient world and you, you could go back there and show them this picture and say, all of these people are totally equal. Uh, if you went back to the ancient world and said that, they'd look at you and, 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 and say, what planet are you from? 
where do you get this bizarre concept that we're all equal? So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at one famous ancient philosopher, Plato. This week, we're going to Aristotle, the other big one. Um, This is what he wrote. This is sort of representative of this this, um, sort of thinking in the ancient world. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. The lower sort are by nature slaves, and it's better for them, uh, as for all inferiors, that they should be under the rule of a master. This is really interesting. Next slide. The use made of slaves and of tame animals is not very different. Uh, for both with their bodies minister to the needs of life. It is clear then that some men are by nature free and others slaves, and that for these latter, slavery is both expedient and right. You get what he's saying? So for, for Aristotle, whether you ask him whether women and men are equal or infants and adults, or slaves and masters, the rich and the poor, the strong and the weak, the healthy and the disabled. He'll just laugh at you and say, in what weird universe is that true? And the answer to that question is, of course, it's true in Jesus' universe, in his kingdom. Uh, Jesus embodied and created a community of revolutionary equality. It's an equality that's so different to the equality we so often kind of um, try to enforce in our world. It's, a, it's an equality, it doesn't deny our differences. It doesn't kind of flatten everything out into a dull uniformity. The equality Jesus brings recognises all our differences, but sets us free to live in them with peace and dignity and purpose. See, the, the key question is, what are we equal in? How, how are we equal? Our differences are obvious. Our differences are obvious. So where is this equality? Well, according to Jesus, according to the worldview of the Bible, there's three big things, I think. Three things that are true of every human who ever has been and ever will live. Uh, printed on your outline there, you can see them there. We're all equally precious to God. Uh, all equally fallen before God, all equally invited by God. So you're going to take them each at a time. Um, Jesus' universe, this universe that um, we're talking about, is, of course, the universe of the Bible, including the, the Jewish scriptures that he came to fulfill. And right on page one is a picture of humanity that was, it was unique in the ancient world. So uh, the ancient myths, humans were created to be slaves to this kind of, Panoply of violent and cruel gods, right? This is stunningly different. Here is the one true God who in love creates a good and ordered world and makes humans in his image to share over his rule, uh, in his rule over the world. So Genesis, a well-known passage to many of us, but Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See what's going on here. This, this kind of sets the scene uh, for the whole Bible. All humans, male and female, are made in some incredible way to be like God. 
to share in his good and loving rule over the world. And now, now fast forward to Jesus, who comes, we're told, as the image of God. God in the flesh. The eternal son become a man. There's so much in there, and we're kind of just skating over it. But all of that gives incredible dignity to humanity, to being a human. We are made in the image of God. We're so precious to God that he would send his son to share in our flesh. But why did he do that? Well, that kind of leads us into the second way in which we're all equal. This second way, according to, according to the Bible. Uh, so you skip ahead a couple of chapters in Genesis, and of course, it tells there's, there's another boat we're all in. Okay? Another way we're all fundamentally equal. We are all equally fallen before God. So, uh, you know, many of us will be very familiar with that. Um, the first humans rejected God. They wanted to run lives their own way without him. They cut themselves off from their maker. And it's like this kind of inherited disease, this spiritual deadness towards God gets passed on to the whole human family. Uh, you can read about it in Genesis 3, but we're not going to spend time there. What I want to do is just to show you very quickly how Jesus himself just assumes that this is true. So just a few paragraphs after the passage we had read out in the next chapter, Luke 11, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer, about calling on God to come and help. And then he says this, Luke 11, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You notice what Jesus says there, almost just in passing, kind of assuming that everyone, assuming that it's obvious, uh, that the people he's talking to are evil. He's not saying every person is as bad as they possibly could be. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's comparing us to God and saying in our relationship to him, all of us are fallen and sinful. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, it's not a popular claim to make today. But I want to suggest actually that these two realities, that every person is equally precious created in God's image, and every person is equally fallen into sin and selfishness, are actually the foundation of true, wonderful, deep equality. Um, there's, a, there's a really wonderful scene in one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, um, Prince Caspian, if you know the, the story. Uh, as, it's towards the end of the book, Aslan's talking with Caspian, this Narnian prince, and he's telling him how his ancestors actually... Where they were thieving pirates from Earth who found their way into Narnia through this cave. Uh, and Aslan says to Caspian, Do you mark all this well, King Caspian? Caspian replies, I do indeed, sir. Uh, I, I was wishing that I came from a more honourable lineage. So he's kind of depressed that he comes from this, these pirates, right? And li listen to this. This is, you know, this is from Aslan. I was making a very profound um, point. You come from the Lord Adam, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan. And that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar, 
and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. See what's happening? See how he's holding these two realities together? To be part of this human family is both honor enough to raise the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor. But there's actually one more. So we've got these two kind of foundations. I think there's actually one more that we want to look at today. Uh, one more aspect to this equality Jesus brings. And we saw that in, verse, in, uh, in the, the verse from Luke that we read earlier, Luke 11. Uh, Jesus says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is all over the New Testament. Uh, not only are all people equal in creation and in sin, we're equal in the offer of redemption, of forgiveness, of new life through Jesus by the Spirit. So this is like this is the final I think this is the final kind of nail in the coffin of our tribalism. You know what tribalism is? It's kind of equality with limits. Right? It's, it's equality within some boundary that you set. Equality with people like me. Equality with people I like, who are part of my tribe. And, but Jesus is saying, uh, his tribe, right, his kingdom, it's not some exclusive club that you need to prove yourself worthy for. The only thing you need to do is recognize that you're not worthy, <laughs> that you could never be on your own and simply ask him for mercy for his spirit to give you new life and anyone can do that at any time your race or tribe or language don't matter your status in society doesn't matter your past mistakes and sins don't matter your past achievements don't matter this is a free gift that can't be earned, and that's offered to everyone, everyone. Well, I think what Jesus is doing, now we're going to look at the passage we actually had read out, so there's a longer kind of preamble this week, apologies, but we won't spend... Uh, a lot of time here. But I think what's going on in that story that we had read out, this parable Jesus tells, Jesus is actually, he's taking aim at this tendency of our own hearts towards tribalism. Uh, it's probably one of the most famous stories ever told, I reckon. Um, you hear, like people know the Good Samaritan, right, all over the world, this parable of the Good Samaritan. See, the real test of equality is not how you treat people like you or people you agree with. It's how you treat people outside your tribe. It's how you treat people, even those people who are your enemies. That's actually what's going on in this parable. So let's have a look at it. It starts in verse 25. It's got this proud expert in the law. Uh, he comes up to question Jesus and he asks actually a really good question. Right? It's kind of, this is an awesome question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, that's what you want to be asking. But 
you very soon find out this guy's not asking it from a genuine heart. He doesn't actually want to learn from Jesus. He's asking to test Jesus. He's trying to trip, trip him up, trap him. So Jesus does what he does so often, and he responds with another question. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? Verse 26, he says, well, what, what's written in the law? What, what do you think? And again, this guy gives a great answer in the next verse, verse 27. Uh, the whole Old Testament law is summed up in these two commands, to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then verse 28, Jesus says, yes, absolutely, you're right. Do that and you'll live. Um, I reckon at that point, probably this guy uh, might have had, a, like I, I can sort of see him sinking a little bit. I reckon. Because I think it's like with these words, Jesus is cutting away this man's pride. He says, yep, so perfectly love God with everything that you are and perfectly love your neighbour. Okay, do that and you'll be, you'll see how you go with that. <laughs> see how you go. And, and it's interesting what happens next. The only way that this guy can, can think of kind of passing the grade according to his own standards is to kind of minimize the requirements of God's law here. Okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, got it, but I'll make my circle of neighbors as small as humanly possible. Okay, so let's just narrow the circle um, so that maybe I can possibly do it. Surely it can't mean everyone. So verse 29, uh, he, he wants to justify himself and he asks this question, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so this parable, this famous parable Jesus tells is an answer to that question. And I think the key thing about this parable is actually something we might not easily see, but would have stuck out like a sore thumb to the original hearers of the, of the parable. The key thing is that the guy who held, who's held up as a hero, what's, what's the key thing about this guy? He's a Samaritan. He's a Samaritan. It's in the title, right? He's a Samaritan. Now, we hear that and we're kind of, it just goes over our head, right? People at the time would have heard that and been utterly shocked. Utterly shocked. Because there was this burning, seething hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, it's, I think it's hard for us to get our heads in this space. It's not something that we necessarily, in general, kind of don't have that sort of thing here in Australia. But there was this deep, long-term hostility between these two groups. I heard, I, apparently, I, I need to chase up if this is true. I think this is right. Um, apparently, uh, if um, a Jewish person was drinking a cup, left it on the table, and the shadow of a Samaritan went, just touched the cup, he would crush the cup, throw it away, could not kind of use it at all. Just the shadow. Like that, that, that's, just, uh, in, that's the level of enmity and kind of hostility between these two groups at the time. So this story Jesus tells, it's not just a moral lesson on helping people who are in need. It's, it's this explosive attack on our tribalism. Um, we're not going to get into all the details, but just want you to notice a few very quick things. Uh, just like we saw with Jesus a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, Notice in verse 33, this Samaritan sees this beaten man. 
He sees him and he doesn't look away. The other two guys, the religious leaders who come first, they kind of notice him, but they very quickly turn away. And you see, did you notice what they did? They go on the other side of the road. So they're not interested in looking and noticing this guy except to avoid him. The Samaritan sees him and he doesn't turn away. He takes pity on him. And that word he takes, it's actually also the same word as we heard a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that, that Jesus had. It's this gut-wrenching compassion, this kind of heart-aching compassion and pity for this guy who's half dead, lying on the road. So the Samaritan sees and feels. And then in verse 34 and, the, and 35, he acts. He, uh, and, and what he does actually is incredible. It's kind of this over-the-top mercy and kindness Um, he doesn't just kind of um, wait for the ambulance and then get out of there as quickly as he can there were no ambulances Um, he, he, he doesn't just make sure this guy is okay and will live and then move on see what he does he cares for him he takes him to the inn he pays for him pays his debts and he guarantees to pay any further debts that this guy will rack up it's this over-the-top love for his enemy. Well, friends, there's so much to reflect on in this parable. Uh, and we don't have time to get into lots of the details. Uh, but usually this parable is taken simply as an example to follow. Well, often it is. Uh, an example to follow, be the Good Samaritan. And there's something to that. Like Jesus finishes the parable by saying, go and do likewise. So there's something to that. But I think there's actually something more going on here. I think Jesus is giving us a glimpse into what's going on in his own life and what he came to do by dying on the cross. Uh, There's a few reasons for that. uh, you can sort of plug me afterwards if you if you want to you can come and ask me that but one of one of the reasons is every other you know that I mentioned that strong word for gut-wrenching compassion that's used of this Samaritan every other time it's used in the Gospels it's either used of Jesus or of God the Father so I, I when the Samaritan feels that same compassion I think for that and a couple other reasons I think we're meant to join the dots that what Jesus is giving here is, us here is actually a stunning picture of the gospel. That he is the ultimate good Samaritan. Uh, he is the one who fulfilled the law perfectly and loved his neighbor fully. Where the helpless half-dead guy fallen by the road, with no strength to save ourselves... We're the natural enemies of our saviour, the ones who are at war with him. But God is the God who loves his enemies and whose love has worked itself out in Jesus with over-the-top mercy, doing everything for us to heal us and to pay all of our debts. That's what's going on at the cross. And if he has done that for you while, you, while you were still a sinner, while you were still his enemy, well, how could you not go and do likewise, right? 
How could you not go and do likewise? If he has done that for you, how could you not go and do likewise? Not just to those who are in your own tribe, but to every person God puts in your path. So, friends, think of that person who you really struggle with. Maybe even someone who is like an enemy to you. That person is someone made in God's image, just like you. So you can relate to them with dignity and respect, not paying back in kind. That person is hopelessly fallen in their sin with no hope in themselves, just like you. So you can have compassion on them, even in their sinful and selfish state, because without Jesus, you're in the the same boat. And that person is just as freely offered Christ's forgiveness and his new life as you are, not because of any merit in yourself, but purely because of his grace and compassion poured out at the cross. Friends, the gospel is the source of real and lasting and transforming equality. It's a firm foundation that you won't find anywhere else. And I just want to finish by reading out the words of an old hymn um, that puts it like this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone may come there For there is no cost, rich man or poor man, bonded or free, the ground was leveled that day at Calvary. There is level ground at the foot of the cross for you to come, no matter who you are. So come to him today. Put your trust in him. Let him bind your wounds and pay your debts and ask his spirit to help you to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Thank you, our Lord Jesus, that you call all people to come to you. You say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you promise to give us rest. We thank you for this incredible equality that all of us have before you. Those who have a unique dignity made in your image Uh, those who are equally lost in ourselves and fallen in our sin but who are also equally offered the hope of the gospel lord keep us from both despair and pride Uh, help us to know um, the preciousness with which you view us and the reality of our own fallen hearts And may that drive us to the cross so that we might live thankful lives in response and that we might go and do likewise in the world around us to all who you put in our way. And we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen.